We're continuing our study in Ephesians. What is the cost of unbelief for a Christian? What does it cost you? A Christian will go to hell if you don't believe. Does that sound contradictory? Yeah? Okay. So notice how that could cause some issues. Does unbelief happen in the Christian life? Yeah, there's all kinds of things that God says we don't really believe. And it's one thing for us to see what it says and not believe it. It's another thing for Him to tell us what it will look like if we don't. God is the only person who dares tell the future in detail. And He does so through His Word. Now in order to get our bearings before us, and I know that you've seen these two slides, you probably have nightmares about them. It's okay. Number one, I just want you to get this. Everything in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 is about here's what God has done for you in Christ. And it is a treasure trove of things that He has just unleashed. It is nothing we have to earn. It is all 100% ours because it was bought with blood and given by grace. But it does take time to come into a full realization of these things. He's done so much for us in Christ. And He's given us a brand new life to live. But living a brand new life is very different than trying to add on to the old life. That becomes a problem. And that's often how we handle it because the brand new life is so scary. Well, God wanted to make sure that we were thoroughly equipped and so He has taught us doctrine. Here's what I've done for you. Know it. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 are live it. You now have this amazing position in Christ that can never be lost. Now live, practice your life as your position truly is. And this is where we're getting into all this conversation about the old man who we used to be and the new man who we are freely because of Jesus. Paul is contrasting where we pick up the new life compared to how we acted when we were pagans. You say, I was never a pagan. Yes, you were. We all were. We were all self-worshippers. We were all slaves to our own desires. We were all victims of our own smart choices. All of us. We were doing the best we could with what we had, and what we had was nothing. And that's exactly what we were getting out of life. So God, not obligated by anything but His grace, reaches forward and gives His Son to set us free. And this is what happens. Verse 17, chapter 4, we're told, I say this and affirm together with the Lord that you no longer walk as the Gentiles. Your pagan life is over. That's what a Gentile means, those of the nations. Don't walk like a godless pagan anymore. I know that's how you used to, and I know you're really comfortable with it. You've been there, you bought the t-shirt, the whole thing. Leave all that behind. That's over. You don't have to do that anymore. Just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, notice it has to do with thinking. How are we going to do here on, on color? Is that okay? 
and their understanding, darkened in their understanding, excluded alienation from the life of God. Why? Because God's life is eternal life. Pagans don't have it. They're lost. Because who's to blame? The ignorance that is in them. Where does sin come from? Inside. Because of the hardness of their hearts. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over, willingly participating in sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you, Christian, did not learn Christ in that way. Or everything to do with Christ is the antithesis of pagan convictions. If indeed, and I believe that we could probably understand that, I think it's called a first-class condition. Since, since it's true, since indeed you have heard of Him and have been taught in Him, just as the truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, pagan life, you lay aside the old self. This means, this word right here means, take off the shirt. It's the idea of removing clothing and casting it away from you. Now that's kind of crazy. Not advocating for nakedness in the body of Christ. Understand that. Which is being corrupted, the old self, in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you may be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Why? Because everything that was a problem that he just spoke of in the previous verses was thinking related. This has got to get washed. Take off that old way of living. Get a brand new foundational base for operation. And then look what it says. Put on the new shelf. Papa done give you a brand new bag. James Brown, anybody? Okay. Which in the likeness of God, I love that. The likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Now, I don't know if you realize this, but those are all things that were absolutely unattainable off-limits as a pagan. Now they are all freely and abundantly available to you and to me. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, the old man, don't worry, we're going to switch colors here in just a second. Speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. Notice, verbalizing truth, top priority. For we're members of one another. We're brothers and sisters in the same body. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Remember, this word means putrid, rotten. No garbage mouth Christians. It's not fitting. It's completely out of place. Bless you. No unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good, which means has a moral quality of which we will be aware. For edification, that word means upbuilding. Does it build people up? Boy, we have a tendency to talk in down ways. God says, no, in Christ you can talk up. Edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace. I love that. Give grace. To those who hear. And, all you NASB people, and, that was last week. 
Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, notice let, remember this is passive. So you can't set out on this trek of, I'm not going to let bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander mess with me anymore. By the way, malice. Instead, it needs to be put away from us, but we have to let it happen. And the reason is for let is because the Holy Spirit wants to do the work. No one is going to do work like the Holy Spirit in doing it. He knows exactly how much you need and what needs to be removed at what time, so we let him do it. Then we have this charge at the end of the chapter. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other. How? Just as God and Christ forgave you, which means that you hold on to nothing with your brothers and sisters. You lay it down and you let it go. You pray it out. You pray until there's peace. But you forgive. And you let it go completely. Well, that's easier said than done. You're right. But it's also what God is seeking to teach us in that process of trusting Him. And notice that He sets Himself forward as the example to be followed in how to forgive completely, graciously, fully. I'm so glad that when I get into glory, He's not going to dig up something that didn't make it under the blood. Aren't you thankful for that? I'm so glad to be here. Praise God, my terrible life is over. Yeah, well, there's that one thing I got here. Hold on. (laughs) A chapstick of iniquity against you. Are you excited about that? No. That would be terrible. Thank God that in Christ, He has forgiven us and He did it freely. So now, passing through the worst chapter break probably in the Bible, Chapter 5, forget about getting locked up on that mentally. Therefore, yes, you guys are learning it. I love it. Be imitators of God. How? In your forgiveness. Keep the context together. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Why? Because we're His beloved children. And walk in love. How? Well, just as God forgave us through Christ completely, We are also to walk in love as Christ walked in love. And He gave Himself up. You know what that means? It means that walking in love, if related to this, is going to be, here it is, sacrificial if it's going to be anything. It means that walking in love with my brothers and sisters has a lot to do with me getting out of the way putting down my personal preferences, laying down my biases and expectations. I need to get over myself so that there's harmony in the body of Christ. I cannot walk in love as long as I stand in the way. Just as I will grieve the Holy Spirit with my words, I often will slit my own throat with my own words. So I will stand in my own way to prevent love from coming in the body of Christ because I have a preference on something. Let me tell you how this played out in the 80s. Somebody put drums in the sanctuary. Number one, this is the auditorium. The scripture tells us this is the sanctuary. Let's get this theologically straight first, okay? Number two, drums hurt nobody. Number three, there are symbols mentioned in Psalm 150, okay? But this created massive schisms with people. 
So much so that we had to have a traditional service and a contemporary service. See, if we had that, I'd be wearing a suit and tie in the morning. And then I'd have a t-shirt and Chuck Taylors on in, in, the, in the, the other one. Think about this for just a second, what just happened in that situation in the 80s. Because it still rains on today. Sometimes you'll pass by a church, you'll see that sign. I'm going to contemporary worship because that's at 11. I'm not even up till 1030. All right? We need to split the body of Christ in order to get along. Why? Because all I love is hymns. And nothing else is from the Lord. That's Satan's music. You ever heard that? There's a word for that. It's called legalism. Paul completely condemns it in Galatians. The entire book of Galatians is written to condemn legalism. And if it wasn't the issue of circumcision in order to be saved, it probably would have been drums if you would have wrote it 40 years ago. That's where it's at. But here's the interesting thing. None of it has a place in the body of Christ. You know why? Because those things don't matter. And the fact that we made them matter made us get our eyes off of Jesus. That's the problem. See, when I got my eyes on Jesus, I accept the things that He accepts. And last time I checked, He accepts a whole lot by faith. Doesn't matter where you've been. Doesn't matter what, what you've got going on. Doesn't matter what sin you're involved in right now. Jesus still is your Savior, and He wants you to believe in Him, period. Doesn't matter all the years that you wasted. He wants to do a brand new work now. So if he can be that open about all of this and freely give pardon by his blood, then who am I to sit here and say, well, we got drums in the sanctuary. I'm out of here. I'm using that terminology. It's okay. You'll catch up. It's good. I'm, I've actually heard before, Oh my gosh, the church finally got a refrigerator. That's great. Cool. But then such and such left. Why'd they leave? Well, because when they put the handles on, it opened this way, and she really thought that it should have opened this way. So they packed up their Uno cards and left. They're starting their own denomination. Maytag Baptist Church. I don't know, but whatever. <clears throat> People get nuts. People get nuts because they stop looking at Jesus. That's all we're supposed to look at. Examine him. Know his life inside and out. Uphold his teachings. And take care of a whole lot. Now we move into where we're looking. Where we're picking up. Chapter 5, verse 3. There's a lot going on here. Because we are to imitate God and forgiving others completely. Because we are to walk in love, and that's signified by a sacrificial lifestyle. We're to be a sacrifice under God. Our, our lives are to be lived as to where it's pleasing for God to take in because of how we're living in His Son. And he says here, but immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. If you look at the Greek here, the word for immorality is the first word in the sentence. Now, I don't know if you notice this. In English, we care a lot about sentence structure, how it is. Greek, they don't care that much about it. But what they do is the thing that they want to emphasize is most important in a situation is they will tuck it right up at the very beginning of the sentence. And so it would actually start with something like this. Pornea! 
What's that word sound like? Pornography. And that's exactly what it is. Sexual immorality. If you have a New King James, it says fornication. It's not just fornication. It's anything of a sexual nature that could be tainted, twisted, misconstrued, misused, abused, mishandled, taken advantage of, that is not becoming of the way that God initially set it up to be holy and enjoyed by two people as one flesh. Man and woman. Period. God didn't set it up wrong in the beginning. So we don't know that the Ephesian Christians here were necessarily involved in these things, but Paul feels the need to touch upon it. Have you ever been, sometimes I'm the kind of person like if it goes unsaid, I would rather it be said and be redundant than for it to go unsaid and a lot of people assume, right? Let's talk about it up front. Let's be honest about it and just fold it out first so that we don't have any mishaps later on. Let's be clear. Every problem is a communication problem. Notice that Paul wants to be clear. The Gentiles lived in sexual immorality. In fact, the Jews had this unspoken rule that they would not leave a Jewish girl by herself anywhere in the vicinity of Gentiles. Because they could guarantee that if they came back 10 minutes later, she would have already been raped. And so they had this unspoken rule. We will just always travel in this way in order to protect our people. Everything about this rampant sexuality has nothing to do with who you are in Christ. Nothing. The next word is impurity. And it's the idea of uncleanness. Now here's what's interesting about this word. There's not too much more to go on this word, but it causes you and me to do a moral assessment of our lives. What is morally acceptable and what is morally not acceptable? In order to measure anything, you have to have a standard, right? How many of you guys work with wood? Nobody? Woodworking? Woodworking people. Is there a difference between 11 inches and 11 and a quarter inches? Okay. Next time you go to build something, just add a quarter onto a couple of things. Is it going to come out right? Wow. Don't ever make a pulpit, please. Can you imagine I came up here and set my Bible down? I was like, Whoosh. that's the problems that would happen. So you've got to have some sort of standard in order to take your behavior and measure it or assessing the things that in your life. It would not kill any believer in Christ to do an inventory. What do I have my hands in? What am I involved with? Who am I surrounding myself with? How do I spend my money? Where does a lot of my time go? What is taking up my thought process? And asking the question, is there anything here that seems unclean? Now here's the amazing thing about it. We usually can look at that if we've been walking with the Lord for any time. This is the beauty of the Holy Spirit. We can usually look at that and we can come to a firm assessment yeah, that's probably unclean. But then we find all of a sudden that our flesh pops up and says, yeah, but I really like it. We, you know what? Let's get rid of the things around it, but let's hold on to that. And we reason with ourselves about how sin is acceptable. Was sin acceptable to the Lord? 
No, he gave his son to die for it. So when we find ourselves reasoning through things that are unclean in our lives, and the Holy Spirit will bring conviction. Like, I don't have anything unclean in my life. Cool, pray about it and ask for the Holy Spirit to bring it up. See if there's anything there. Search me, O Lord, and try me. See if there's any unclean way in me. That's a moral judgment. Pray about it. And if we decide we're going to toy with it, then great. Let's recognize that we're toying with the sacrifice of Christ. Well, this sin's okay. Well, then His blood must not have covered it. And if His blood's not going to cover it, then when you get in the presence of the Lord, when it's all over and done with, why don't you bring that up and see how He deals with it then? Completely jacked up theology. We can't live like that. Sometimes it's hard to separate from those things. Sometimes we just need to take it and cut it right off. One of the best things we could ever do is sometimes take a Kirk Cameron, take our computer out back, set it on fire, chop it up. That might be the best thing we could possibly do is beat it with an ugly stick. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Dealing with sin decisively. But if it's there, recognize this. It's got everything to do with the pagan living and there's nothing about the new man in it. Do you really want to go on that way? He then says greed. And the word means greed. Do you have an insatiable desire that can't be scratched within you? Now we all know this, and praise the Lord for it. But guys, if you married a godly woman, you married an expression device of the Holy Spirit of God. Did you not? Only the ladies in Jay chuckle. I was looking at something one time and I said, babe, what do you think about this? I love it. She looked at me and she said, it's not going to make you happy. <laughs> right? I just lost in the Hunger Games. It was terrible. Oh my gosh. You know what? It was true. It was biblical. It was right. It was me trying to scratch a desire and fill a need I need this. If anybody's confused about wants and needs, it's our culture. We're making that mistake day in and day out. Recognize that's what pagans do. And I had to recognize the paganness in me, the old man in me, that was seeking for a satisfaction outside of the things of God. Well, you don't understand, I could use this for the things of God. In fact, that's how I bought one of my drum sets. <laughs> but I'm going to use it for the Lord. You know what? The Lord made sure I used it for the Lord. Good grief. Put so many miles on that thing. But there comes down to a point sometimes when you got to weigh it out and go, good grief. All, all I'm doing is just blowing God's good resources. I'm just being greedy. This really ain't about caring for other people. This is about ways I'm trying to love myself recognize that why because look what he says but immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named even be named not even in name is it attached to you look what it says after that and there must be sorry as is proper among the saints in other words there's a standard understanding there and there must be and here's what's interesting about this. Filthiness, silly talk, 
and coarse jesting are all what is known in the Greek as a hypox legomena. And what that means is it's the only time that that word is ever brought up in the New Testament. Now, that's interesting because you don't have a whole lot to study it out in order to come to the understanding, but it's difficult because you don't have anything to compare it to or how that author might have used it in other situations. So the first one, filthiness, is the idea of baseness or, I don't think I spelled that right, obscenity. It does have an E in it. There it is. Obscenities. Which means that morally you have to know. Notice that all these are tacked to morals. How we govern ourselves, what we deem is right, wrong, good, true, all of those things. The idea of silly talk here is the idea, it's a compound word. And if I were to put it in Greek, you would know what it is. In the Greek, it actually comes out as that. In the Greek, it is... Morologia, which is morose, and logos, put together. Bad words. That's what it is, morose words. The idea of coarse jesting here. I found one translation, raillery. Yes. Don't clap, you guys. Stop it. Coarse jesting. Here's what it is. Sarcastically ridiculing somebody. The idea of letting a joke go too far. The fact that you may be obsessed with dirty jokes and you feel like that you have to, te- to, to tell them. Potty talk. Anybody that's got a six, seven, eight-year-old is dealing with potty talk. Potty talk. In the middle of the church, in the middle of the body of Christ. Notice what it says. It is not fitting. You ever been putting together a jigsaw puzzle? You're looking for that last piece? And you're kind of tempted to take one from another puzzle and cut it to fit? No one? Doesn't fit. It has no place in that picture. What's up, man? No. Not at all. I had one guy who's a Christian who was a cop. He told me, when I, when I have to arrest dirt bags, I talk dirt bag. I talk dirt bag language to them. I found that wrong. Yeah. Here's the problem. If we get into a situation, like let's say, let's say we're dealing with somebody who's lost, and we think that somehow I've got to bring in a dirty joke or elicit a lot of four-letter words in order to reach them for Christ, I'm not reaching them for Christ. I'm trying to make Christ cool on their terms. They are what they need to be saved from. Christ didn't come to get down on their level. Christ came to pull them out of that mess and give them a better life. Now let me say this. People who are brand new Christians, maybe undiscipled Christians, Maybe they have some fluency in the foreign languages. That's okay. Don't let it hang you up. 
as a reason to judge them and tear them down. Look for a way to upbuild them with your words. I love whenever the cake lady's like, oh, sorry, pastor. I love my cake lady. She's great. But I think she was on a sailboat at one time. I don't know. Possibly. She's a great woman, though. I love her to death. I hope she never hears this. I've probably talked to her, talked about her more than I need to. She's great. But sometimes she just lets things fly, and then she'll stop and she'll go, sorry, pastor. I'm like, it's okay. You be you. I'll keep being saved. It's okay. I'm just kidding. Yeah, that happens. I, I don't think we should adjust. I, I, I think the problem is that if we have ever said that culture needs to have consideration in watering down the Word of God, then we've lost the opportunity for evangelism, period. Christ is God. I'm not here to make Him relevant or relatable. The Word of God is already relevant because it's telling the truth. It's everybody else that's out of sync with it. So I, 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 don't, have, I don't have any problem with that. Notice, they're not fitting, but rather, what should I fill my mouth with? Giving thanks. It's where we get the word Eucharist from. Today we did the Lord's table. Why did we do that? Because we're thankful to Jesus for what He did for us. So I'm going to give thanks instead. When I find that those words want to make it past my teeth and get out, close my mouth. What do I have to be thankful about? That's new man thinking. Notice that all these things, because of how he's contrasting, filthiness, silly talk, and coarse jesting, that is old man thinking. It has no place. Now, forgive me that I'm going to run long, but I couldn't think of any way to do this, especially with communion in play. No, where'd I go? There it is. For this you know with certainty. Watch this. No immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance. Emphasis on no. No immoral, sexually immoral, impure, unclean is the idea, covetous, and notice this is the idea of greed. In other words, he's taking everything that was brought up in verse 3, and he's reiterating that vice list in verse 3, and putting it in verse 5, and it now has in the Greek a personal connotation that's put on it, talking about individuals within the body of Christ. And look what he says, they have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ, and God. And that is the only time that that phraseology is used. It's usually kingdom of God, but Paul feels the need here to say the kingdom of Christ and God. Or let me break it down for you. If this is how you live your life when you have the new life of Christ, so I have the brand new shirt to put on, but I refuse to take off the old shirt and have my mind renewed, which is your freedom in Christ to do. But you can be guaranteed of this, that in His coming kingdom, you will have no inheritance. You will have nothing to show for it. You will have nothing to gain. That sound alarming? I hope it touches your button. Because this is just how serious Paul is about this matter. In fact, he's been building everything and it explodes right here in this culmination. Take 
This, seriously, it's not just about the here and now. The here and now is indicative of what your future time with the Lord is going to look like. Now, here's what people do. They say, well, you don't understand. If you're not going to have any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God, what that's actually talking about is that's talking about unbelievers. Unbelievers are not going to go to heaven when they die. Pause for just a second. Heaven and the kingdom of God are not the same thing. They are two different things. Number two, the future has a kingdom reality of Christ coming, and he's not been talking to unbelievers. He's been warning believers not to live like unbelievers. That's why this is so serious. This is why for you guys who have been looking at porn on your computer or you have a stack of dirty magazines underneath your bed somewhere, recognize this. Well, I'm not hurting anybody but me. Yes, you are. You're hurting the body of Christ. And you're hurting everything that it's going to look like when God wanted to reward you for your obedience. And instead, you suffered loss before him at the judgment seat of Christ. Now recognize this. The judgment seat is not for unbelievers. If you're at the judgment seat of Christ, and that will happen right after the rapture takes place, you're there because you're redeemed. You're there because you've believed in the Lord and you have eternal life. But then we're told in 2 Corinthians 5.10, each one of us will be judged according to what we've done in the body, whether good or bad. It will all be put in front of him. So the moment of your conversion, depending on your growth, how people poured into you and how you sought the Lord and how you responded with the information that you were given, whether or not you applied doctrine is going to matter before the Lord when it's all over and done with. And it will dictate your opportunities or lack thereof in his coming administration. Now, if possible, we must compare Scripture with Scripture when handling tough passages like this. This is what's known as either the analogy of faith or the analogy of Scripture. It's known by both ways. And the idea is, is that if I can find a Scripture that's given me a problem, and if I can find ways that this same idea or concept is spoken of, then I need to try to get all that information to figure out how to interpret it correctly. I guarantee you, and I did this throughout this week, nine times out of ten, if not ten out of ten, you will go and you will pull a commentary or look online for what in the world does this verse mean about not having an inheritance in the kingdom, and they will tell you, this person was not really saved. Well, after they had their trial period with the Lord, they must have lost their salvation and therefore they couldn't get in. These people are destined for hell and you can tell by the way they live. Anybody known a Christian that did something messed up? (laughs) Besides Jay. Anybody known a Christian that did something messed up? Just kidding, brother. Just Jay. (laughs) Just Jay. So, thankfully, Paul has written in two more passages like this. Take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians. Chapter 6. I will go through this quickly for the sake of time, but I encourage you to read it on your own. Remember, Corinth, totally believers. Paul never questions their salvation, but this church was on spring break all the time, and they needed to reel it in. A little bit too much freedom on Daytona Beach. Nobody goes there anymore, but still. Chapter 6, verse 1. Does any one of you, when he has a case against his neighbor, dare to go to the law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? In other words, you end up having a problem with somebody in the body of Christ, and your conclusion was to sue them. 
That sounds right. You don't know what they've done to me. I should get what I deserve. This was wrong. I've been infringed upon. Your rights have been violated, and therefore you're taking matters into your own hands, and you're going to sue them. Okay? So it says here, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? We have the opportunity where we're going to be the judges of the world. This is talking about in the future kingdom. So notice how he draws this. If the world is judged by you, are you not competent to constitute the smallest law courts? Do you not know that we will judge angels? Do you ever know you're going to do that? You're actually going to be in judgment of angels. Okay, obviously the future time. How much more matters of this life? So if you have law courts dealing with matters of this life, do you appoint them as judges who are of no account in the church? In other words, why hire the lawyer and go out there and sue the pants off of that fellow brother or sister in Christ who has somehow done you wrong or went south on a business deal instead of bringing it to the church and letting the redeemed handle it according to truth? That's how it should be meted out. That handle on the refrigerator might actually end up on the other side. And you need to be okay with it and still be part of the church. It says here, I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not among you one wise man who will be able to decide between his brethren, but brother goes to law with brother, and that before unbelievers? Actually then, it is already a defeat for you, even if you win the case. You've been defeated because you thought that pagans could decide your case rather than the body of Christ. You didn't seek for reconciliation. You were too busy getting restitution. Everybody see the heart in this, how evil that is? He says here, actually then, it's already a defeat for you that you have lawsuits with one another. Why not rather be wronged? I'm never wronged. That's probably a problem. Why not rather be defrauded? Because it would cost me too much. Let the body of Christ deal with it. Then he says this, On the contrary, you yourselves wrong. That's the idea of unrighteousness happening. And defraud. You do this even to your brethren, your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, just think real quick. Who do you hate enough in the body of Christ to take them to court? It doesn't make sense, does it? It doesn't make any sense. And then all of a sudden, Paul hangs this left turn out of nowhere. Watch this. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Same word he uses in the previous verse to describe what they're doing. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. Notice, no inheritance. Do not be deceived. In other words, your mind could be tempted to make you think poorly about this and not take it seriously. No. Pay attention. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate. This is interesting because this is the passive partner of a homosexual relationship. Nor homosexuals. This is the active partner in the homosexual relationship. Nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, real quick, covetous, greed, same language as we were looking at in Ephesians, will inherit the kingdom of God. You will have no inheritance if this is how you live your life. If this is your habitual MO, you will have nothing to show for your time. You will come before the Lord and you will turn your pocket 
inside out and say, I have nothing of worth that I ever lived for because this is what I was concerned with. I so loved self that I didn't want to trust you for anything. Notice what Paul does here. Such were some of you. Now some people see, see this is talking about lost people. It can't be talking about saved people. Pause. He's talking to a group of Christians who are not living according to the new life they have in Christ. They're suing each other. And they're living in sexual immorality. And they're living as idolaters. And they're greedy. And they're mean. And they're malicious. And they're drunkards. They're getting to the Lord's table before anybody else does. And they're drinking all the wine. And then they're all blitzed when everybody shows up. Church that day had to be weird. But that's what they're doing. Why? Because all they care about is themselves. All of this is selfishness. It's old man pagan behavior. They had drums, yes. Corinth had drums. Is security in the building? Notice this. Such were some of you. You used to be a pagan like that, and you used to do pagan stuff like that. But you were washed. Regeneration. But you were sanctified. That doesn't mean progressive sanctification in our life. Sanctified is the idea of holy, being set apart for something. And that's positional. Set apart. It can be used two different ways depending on context. But you were justified, declared righteous by God. Uh, let's see here, season there somewhere. Declared righteous by Christ. In other words, this, this, and this are all positional truths. You were justified in the name of Lord Jesus Christ in the Spirit of our God. Notice the Trinity. One, two, three. In other words, here's what he's saying. Do you recognize that your behavior is completely out of place with who you really are? And so you're acting and operating like who you were, who was crucified with Christ to the cross. You're now dead to your trespasses and sins. That thing is gone. Jesus died for it. You died for it. Or you died to it. And now you've not just been buried, but been resurrected to a brand new life. And that's who you really are. And you're living in a way that is not truly who you are. You've been washed. You've been set apart. You've been declared righteous. Live like that. Don't live like a pagan. Paul warned his readers about being deceived on this subject. Probably many of them failed to see that the way, a Christ, the way Christians choose to live here and now will affect their eternal reward. Many Christians today fail to see this too. The fact that we are eternally secure should not lead us to conclude that it does not matter how we live now, even though we will all end up in heaven. How you live now matters. Or, I love Earl Rodmacher, he says it this way, right now is training time for when we get to reigning time. And there are some who will be trained and will reign. And there are some who won't want to be trained and will not reign. It will not happen. Last example here, Galatians chapter 5. He speaks to it in this way too. This one's a little bit easier to show that he's talking to redeemed, saved people. 
Galatians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 16. Here's what Paul says to this church. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Does everybody see the two that are fighting here? Spirit, flesh, spirit and flesh. Or let's say this way. New man, old man. For the flesh, the old man, sets its desires against the spirit, the new man. And the spirit, the new man, against the flesh, the old man. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. You ever felt like that? The things I want to do, I'm not doing. The things I want to do, I can't seem to find my way doing it. And you get frustrated with yourself. What is that? That's the flesh and the spirit warring. The old man and the new man. The old man saying, keep me on, keep me on. Saying, no, take it off, throw it away. What does the word of God say? Got to get renewed. Brand new shirt. There it is. That's the struggle. It says here, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. So why does he bring the law up in this? Because the law condemns. It tells us what we're doing is wrong. Now watch this. The deeds of the flesh, old man, are evident. No question about it. Which are immoral, immorality, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, drugs, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, Factions, not fractions, all you math nerds, okay? Envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like this, of which I forewarn you, just as I have. This was not a new teaching. Forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now let me say this real quick. Well, this is the characteristics of people who think they're saved, but they're not really saved. Paul doesn't question their salvation. Otherwise, you wouldn't be calling them brethren and beloved brethren through the whole thing. But guarantee this, as soon as you begin looking at your works to determine whether or not you're really saved, you will come to the conclusion that you're not when you really are. We are never called in the Bible to look to our works to validate our salvation. We're called to look to Christ and what he has done because he offers eternal life freely by his grace. That's how we know we're saved. So notice how he juxtaposes this. But the fruit of the Spirit, new man, when I'm walking there, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Against such things, you can't be condemned. Why? Because they're all perfect. Look what he says here. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That's what it's known as. Crucified. We are crucified in Christ. In other words, that is our position. If we live by the Spirit, the Spirit's the one who makes us alive, let us also walk by the Spirit. That's our practice. If the Spirit's who made us alive, then let's live like living people. Let's actually live out our lives in the brand new things that Jesus has died to secure for us. So let me wrap it up. If we live by the Spirit, let's also walk by the Spirit. To do this, we must, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. Number one, take off the old man. Same application as last week. Number two, renew the mind. It's got to happen. The Word of God is the only thing that gets in there and scrubs that thing clean. Number three, 
Put on the new man. What does that look like? Read the Word of God and know. Ask questions. Get involved. Get deeply engrossed in who you are. There's a brand new treasure trove to experience in Christ. But don't make the mistake of thinking, well, now that I'm saved and I'm in the door, I'm across the threshold, all things are good. Are you saved? Yeah. Sin's gone? Yes. So if you've died to sin, why would you want to live in them anymore? It makes absolutely no sense. And when we are willingly, consciously, practicing pagan ways, we can recognize that we have deceived ourselves and we are robbing ourselves of any inheritance we would have in the future coming kingdom. Jesus died to give us much more than that. Let's pray. Father God, help us to inventory our lives and our thinking and our time and everything that we consume ourselves with presently. If we find covetousness, if we find idolatry, if we find sexual immorality, if we find uncleanness, if we are obscene, if our mouths are filled with filthiness, if we think that coarse joking is the way to deal with things, if we're fudging with the world and trying to think that it's okay, Lord, convict our hearts. It is not. It is impure. It is wrong. It does not fit. It has no place. Lord, thank You that You've liberated us in Christ. Thank You that You've set us on solid ground. Thank You that You've forgiven every sin and You have given us every spiritual blessing. But Lord, if we don't, lose, if we don't use it, we will bring ourselves in a, in a terrible way when we stand before You and have a conversation about how we maintained our lives. Whether or not we responded to the Word of God. Spirit, how we need You to impress the seriousness of this on our person. Lord, we are not to walk in condemnation, but in the newness of life that You freely give. So help us, God, please, to recognize that and to live in it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.